Thanks so much for being here. Hello, everyone online. It's just great to think of you joining us too. And uh, this morning, I'm talking out of Luke chapter 12, uh, 13 to 34 on how to stay alive in the age of worry. In the age of worry about possessions and finances and the future, how to live in the age of worry. And I was wrestling this week about that topic because when you talk about worry and money in Orange County, you're going to war. Because we swim in the water of worry. That's what we do. And Jesus tells us not to worry. And that's not always helpful if you're worrying. Someone says, don't worry, that doesn't always work. It's like saying to someone scrolling through their phone, don't scroll. And they know they shouldn't, but, you know, it's just become so much a part of us. And uh, I'm going to say that these words that Jesus is going to bring are challenging, but he doesn't come with the heart of a sergeant. He comes with the heart of a surgeon. He wants to reveal what is under our worry. He wants to reveal it in order to heal it. And so let's open up our hearts. And I was just so grateful because... On Wednesday, I was wrestling through it and feeling a little bit intimidated. And uh, my wife and I have got a little Airbnb out in our back backyard garage. And it just so happened that on the Wednesday, a guy booked it. And I recognized the name. He booked it for Friday night. And uh, his name was John Reinhardt. And I was like, that name rings a bell. Who's John Reinhardt? And then I go, John Reinhardt wrote a book called Gospel Patrons that's really kind of changed my life about the power of generosity. So I reach out to him and say, John, thanks for booking. Are you the John Reinhardt that wrote the book on generosity? He's like, yes, that's me. (laughs) I was like, wow, fancy that. So have you got time for a coffee or a glass of wine? I just love, I'm actually preaching on money and generosity this Sunday. So he came over last night. Isn't that amazing? And we just had a few hours, Ronell and I, with, with him and his wife, and he was so super encouraging. And he's not a pastor, he's a business guy. And one of his main things is like, man, Jesus talked more about money than any other subject. We've got to talk about it. He said, the problem is pastors feel awkward because like they know that people's tithes are paying their salary. So like, you know, you know, ulterior motives and all that stuff. So let's not talk about it, especially in COVID where things are unexpected and uncertain, etc. And he just said, you've got to talk about it talk about it boldly. And last night he sent me this short poem before I go to Luke 12. He says, pastors, please talk about money. Tell us what the Bible says. Read us the words that are in red. It's in our thoughts and on our minds. The world talks about it all the time. Is money the measure of success or just the reason we feel so stressed? Is the eye of the needle really so small or was Jesus exaggerating after all? We know you get your salary from your people's generosity and understand it feels self-serving to teach these parts that are unnerving. But unless you do, we will not grow to bear 30, 60, and 100-fold. Please carry the light and lift it high. We need to see the truth from lies. Don't tip around, tiptoe around. This issue is core. Don't not politely kick open the door. We've not yet seen the joy of giving and don't believe it's truly living to give instead of to receive but you can help us to believe. These words of life are true for us 
and this world's treasures end in rust. Pastors, please talk about money. So I'm taking my friend's advice. Ready to kick, kick open the door. You ready? Let's go. Let's go. Luke 12, 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That's, that's greed, to covet. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool. In our culture, fool. You fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Consider the lilies. If then you are not able to do a, a smaller thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This passage includes three of the most common Christian verses. They're so common, in fact, that they almost become cliches. Seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow. Store up treasure in heaven. And if we've been around church for a while, it's We'll, we'll know them, but we'll really struggle to believe them. We'll really struggle to obey them. Even if we haven't been around church, we will have heard people say things like, hey man, you can't take it with you. We understand that life is more than possessions and, and money. And yet we, we struggle. I just want to say, as I preach, I'm not preaching as someone who's mastered these things. Over the years, God has given me, I think, a gift of faith to lead a church and see God provide for it. I could tell you story. Every time I talk about money, I'm just like, I wish I had an hour to tell you stories about God's provision for this church. 
God has given Ronell and I faith for, for financial faithfulness and, and stories in terms of that, but I'm not a master. I still find my soul moving towards worry. I still find myself seeking after things and losing focus on the kingdom. I, I'm, I'm preaching to you not as a master, as a fellow student who's got some testimony, but let's all of us sit at the feet of Jesus, the master, and say, Jesus, these are not cliches. Your words are words of life. Your words actually set us free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And actually, Jesus in, in Luke chapter 12 takes the repeated theme of life, life. And he's asking the question, what does it mean to go through life, life of paying bills, paying tax, saving for retirement, trying to get your kids through college, trying to raise your kids with braces so that they're not all crooked, all these life things. What does it mean to pay off student debt, but actually not forget that actually eternal life is the lens through which we look at these things. And Jesus is asking, can we look at these things? Don't deny them. Can we look at these things through the lens of eternal life? And as he's teaching about life, this guy interrupts him and says, teacher, tell my brother to pay the inheritance, my share. I know some families in the church right now who are wrestling through the splitting of inheritance and how it can rip a family apart. And Jesus just like dodges it. He was like, who made me the judge over you? Very wisely, he's like, I'm not getting involved in this stuff. And it's an amazing thing that like this man who built bigger barns so that he could, his, his money could last just not for his life, but actually for those after him, Jesus was saying, you just never know whether that's really gonna provide life for your children. It might rip the family apart. So you've spent your whole life saying, I'm gonna provide for my kids when I go. And that might be the thing that rips your family apart. He says, you just never know who you're gonna leave it to. And not all of our worry is about greed and getting absolutely stinking rich. Some of it is that, but some of it is actually responsibility gone wrong. Where we're going, I'm living my life so that I can look after my legacy. And Jesus is just saying, look here, it doesn't always work. I read about this woman, this property tycoon called Leona Helmsy, who when she died in the 90s was worth about $8 billion. And so in her will, she left $12 million for her dog called Trouble. I kid you not. The dog's name was Trouble, aptly named. And she left no money to her, her grandchildren, but 12 million to Trouble. And it caused a lot of trouble because Trouble the dog started getting death threats from who we know not, but we think we do. And so they had to hire security detail for Trouble the Dog, $100,000 a year. So here's this property tycoon who's just thinking, I'm gonna bless my dog. Meantime, the dog is living in fear of its life. And so we live with these, the, the sense of like, actually life does not consist of our possessions. And that's how Jesus answers. He says, look, I'm not gonna get involved in this. I'm not the judge, but be on your guard against covetousness for your life does not consist of your possessions. And that word life, it's a beautiful word. It's the word Zoe. Can you say that? 
Zoe. And it doesn't mean just mean like you've got a pulse. The word Zoe means vitality. A sense of fulfillment and, and joy and mental health and, and hope. Remember Jesus in John 10 said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life. That same word, Zoe, and have it abundantly. And when he says a man's life, Zoe, does not consist of money or possessions, he's saying, actually, I've come that you might have an abundance of vitality. And it's not actually dependent upon possessions. The, one of the reasons why we worry is that we are looking to money and possessions to give us vitality. And money and possessions talk a big game, but they always overpromise and underdeliver. And if you just think about it, he's talking about clothes and, 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 and where you eat, what you put on. I'm just saying, man, I'm not against great clothes, but have you ever had that retail regret where you like, you saved up for that like $300 supreme t-shirt? I mean, for heaven's sake, $300, and you put it on feeling like it's gonna bring fulfillment and a sense of self-worth, and all you feel is like regret. What on earth was I thinking? Almost like when I eat a whole like lemon meringue pie, you know? It felt good going down, but like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Or otherwise, like you, if, you, if you're a foodie like me, you fixate on this great restaurant in LA that everyone's been talking about that's been closed for a year and you wait until COVID's over and you go there and you save up and it's, it's amazing. And in, in the moment, it actually does bring joy, but like who of us ever a week after that amazing meal are going, I'm feeling so joyful and hopeful because of that meal I had a week ago. The life passes through you like the food. And so Jesus is saying, man, just understand that these things, they might even bring fleeting temporary joy, but actually when you look to them for life, you are caught in the law of diminishing returns. As I've grown older, closer to 50, I haven't been quite as brand conscious. Today, I confess, I'm wearing $12 jeans from Burlington. And maybe you're saying they look like they're $12, but my wife thinks I look good in them and that's all that I care about, right? So leave me alone. But honestly, 10 years ago, I would not have been caught dead shopping at Burlington. I would have been like, true religion, 200 bucks, baby. And now actually God's begun to set me free from finding my worth in that. But I wanna tell you, we all have our kryptonite. We all have our thing that we look to life from. Might not be dreams. For me, it's coffee. You will not catch, oh, I must be careful. There's a Starbucks ma manager here. <laughs> And she's a really good friend of mine. But I'm a little bit of a coffee snob, right? And I like to find the little like back alley coffee places, etc. I will go to Starbucks sometimes, I love you. And, uh, but you know, my favorite thing, <laughs> my favorite thing is actually espresso machines at home. I kind of just got hooked on eBay, finding deals on espresso and I find a Lamazaco from Italy and it was awesome. Then I traded it and got another. And then five years ago, the elders just gave me this amazing Breville machine for Christmas. It was amazing. And I was just like, yes, I got it. I never have to trade again. This is awesome. I worked out, I've made, we've made about 8,000 cups 
of, of espresso since then. It, it saved me thousands of dollars. It's been amazing. The problem is my daughter's now a barista and she says to me the other day, it's great and all, but it doesn't pull great shots. And so now I find myself on this website called Whole Latte Love. It's like the Tinder for coffee machines. You know, swipe right, swipe left. Swipe right, swipe left. Which is it, Antoine? Is it swipe right to say yes or no? Which is it? <laughs> don't pretend you don't know, okay? And I'm just like, why? Why? How, how come five years ago I was like, this is it. I don't need anything else. And now I'm on the Tinder for coffee machine, swipe right. What's wrong with me? And each of us have that thing that we're like, we're looking for life in that thing. And Jesus is saying, I worry first and foremost is that we're asking something of money and possessions that it cannot give us. And you know, when we do that, it's like taking a bottle of water. This looks like great water. Looks like it's gonna satisfy my thirst. Only problem is this morning, I put two teaspoons of table salt in this. It's terrible. <laughs> and when you drink salt water, it actually just makes you more thirsty. It makes you more thirsty. That's the problem when we look for life, for, for Zoe, for vitality in these things, for a moment, and then we just get more and more thirsty. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 there's no salt in me. I am the living water. He who is thirsty, let him drink of me, and he will never thirst again. And the beginning of the cure for worry is Jesus just saying, come and drink deeply, of me. And those things, they won't disappear, but the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Chalmers, and I, and I quote this to my, my kids all the time, Chalmers talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. When we're looking for things to give us life, actually we can't just say no, no, no to that. We have to say yes to Jesus and drink deeply of him. And then we actually lose our taste for salt water. That's the beginning, that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Secondly, that life is wasted by worry. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body. And, and Jesus is using, in verse 22, different words for life. He says, do not worry about your life. And that's a different life to the Zoe life. That word in the original is suke, which means your natural life. Do not worry about your natural life because your Zoe life does not consist or rely on these things. And some of you are saying, thank you, yes and amen. But others of you are saying, but Alan, we live in a material world and we are material girls and boys. <laughs> As Madonna said. And I just wanna say, man, as Jesus comes as a surgeon to our anxiety around money and possessions, he is not a Gnostic. And what is a Gnostic, you're asking? A Gnostic in these days, and there's still Gnostics today, believe that matter, material world was bad, and the spirit world was good. 
So just deny the material world and give yourself to the spirit world and everything will be. Jesus was not one of those. And what we see is Jesus' beautiful words. Your father knows you need them. Isn't that beautiful? Your father knows. Your father knows you. Your father knows you need them. That's a cure for worry. And it says, and your father feeds them. See, the beginning of the cure for anxiety is to recognize there's no life ultimately in those things. But secondly, it's to recognize that I actually am in a material world and Jesus came to that material world. He didn't come in pixels. He came in flesh and blood. And Jesus, what was his first miracle? What was it? Water to wine. The Baptists say water to grape juice. But it was wine. And then the third or fourth miracle was multiplying bread. It said he had, had compassion on the crowd and therefore he fed them. Uh, material world. I love the moment where his disciples cannot pay their tax. Anyone connect with that? Anyone go, oh, tax season, property tax, what am I gonna do? And Jesus has compassion. He says, let's go fishing, buddies. I know, I know you can't pay your tax because you left your fishing nets. So I'm gonna go back to what you left. I'm gonna be kind. And he catches a fish and in it is a coin and they can pay their tax. Jesus lives in the material world. And he assures us the Father cares about the material world. And actually, if we're worrying, it's because we do not believe that the Father knows, that the Father knows you, that the Father knows you need them. And some of you I know here are literally worrying about your rent check literally worrying about that next meal on the table. How am I going to pay my insurance? Some of you have given up paying your insurance because, and actually to rest in the fact that the Father knows you need them. And Jesus calls us to consider, you know, considering nature is a cure for worry. Let's get away from our TV screens, away from our phone screens, and get into nature and consider, because there's something to learn. And he says, consider the ravens. They do not store up in barns, but the Father feeds them. And what are we to learn about the Father from ravens that the Father gives them just enough for that day? It reminds us of what Ryan spoke Luke 11, give us today our daily bread. Remember the Israelites? I'll just give you manna for one day, just enough. That the Father is saying, actually, I, I know what you need and trust me that I can give you just enough for that day. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, now consider the lilies. They do not sow or spin, but they are arrayed in more splendor than that of Solomon. Here, Jesus almost sounds like a prosperity preacher because he's saying, hey, look, ravens get just enough, but lilies, for heaven's sake, have you seen lilies? I mean, the hues of gold and yellow and white, bright white, the statuesque stems. I mean, God just didn't do the, um, the daisy, a lily. I mean, they are just amazing. They're extravagant. He's saying, my father is not just enough. He's sometimes much more than enough. And trust him that he can give you the daily bread, but there'll be moments where he just surprises you, gobsmacked, you're just like, whoa, you're more than enough. 
about my needs. Remember about five years ago, we were stressing about Ash's college. Never hit the college thing. I mean, we got our kids through braces. I mean, if that's not enough, I mean, what the heck? It's an amazing thing as I digress, but you know, one of the reasons why I know that life is not consisting just of possessions is that as I've traveled to poorer nations and with some of you, we very often go to meet their physical needs. We're gonna help them and that's good. To Thailand, to Africa, to Nepal. And as we go, we find that they've got a joy and a faith that we don't have. We did like a dental thing in Thailand. That's why I thought of it. And here we are and there's all these Thai people and they've got terrible teeth and we're helping them with their teeth. And I'm just looking and saying, but they're so dang happy because they found Jesus. And there we are who spend thousands of dollars on our teeth, but we don't want to smile in case someone judges our teeth. You just go, oh, what's going on? Why do they have so little and yet so much? Why, why do we have so much and yet so little? Right? And I'm not against braces. We're just about to do our third kid's braces. But Jesus is, is saying, actually, God is enough, but, but, but he's, he's more than enough. And so I felt God from this say, go and buy a bird feeder and consider the birds, study the birds. And so we did every morning, we sit on our porch, look at the birds. And I just saw how like they would just arrive every morning, just confident that I would put bird seed. And they wouldn't take more than they need and they'd come back the next morning. I just, oh God, teach me that my father is the father that provides just enough. And then I felt God say, no, no, you consider the lilies. We don't have lilies in our backyard. So I started studying the roses and their beauty and their complexity and their color. I'm just going, God, you're more than enough. And my heart started to swell with faith that God could provide for our son's education. And very soon after that, he got an 80% scholarship to go play football in Chicago. It was just amazing. God, you're extravagant. And that first year didn't go so great. He actually came back and was at FJC and we had to learn, Lord, sometimes you're just enough. No scholarship, no private university, just enough. But it was actually an excellent year for him. It was humbling, but it was good. And he was back here with us, back here with the church. And at the end, he got a full ride scholarship. Oh God, you're more than enough. <laughs> I want to say, God wants to give you that testimony. Consider the lilies. Consider the ravens. It's the cure for worry when we realize our Father knows. And then He says, and you are worth more than lilies. And you are worth more than ravens. You are worth much to the Father. And that is a promise, but that's a warning. Because I want to tell you, one of the reasons we worry is that we're looking to possessions to measure our worth. And so I feel like I'm worth more when I'm driving a new car. Or I'm worth more when I go to a great college. Worth more when I've got a bigger house. And Jesus is just saying, no, that's not where your worth comes from. In fact, if you wrap your worth up in your possessions, you're gonna live in worth-based worry. 
And one of the most powerful ways we can get rid of worth-based worry is that we give away something or sell something that our worth was wrapped up in. And then we go, Jesus, my worth comes from the Father's image in me and your blood paid from me. And we actually find a deeper, more stable worth. You are worth more. You are worth more than lilies and sparrows. I want to tell you personally, God did this in me when I sold my Ford Explorer that I was paying for, and I liked that Ford Explorer. But my friend said, I've got a 12-year-old truck. Would you like it? And I thought, I can pay off my car loan and not have a car loan. I'm not judging you if you do have a car loan, but I wanna tell you it was a test of my worth. Is, is your worth wrapped up in your new car? And I found myself in a 12-year-old truck just going, actually, wow, that's a nice car, but. I've got a 12-year-old truck. I like cars, but actually it was a moment to go, that's not where your worth comes from. And it was a freeing of worth-based worry. Worry wastes our life. It's a waste of time to worry. Worry doesn't add one hour to the day. That's what Jesus said. In fact, it steals our joy and keeps us busy doing nothing. Have you found yourself worrying about the future? And you think, what have I been doing for the last 30 minutes? Oh, nothing except worry. No, worry is not just a waste of life. It shortens our life because stress is a killer. And so Jesus' words are surgeon words. He wants to cut us to heal us. He wants us not to waste our life. And the healing comes when we realize the Father cares for us and we are worth more than the things we have. Amen? Amen. Thirdly, life is found by seeking God's kingdom. Do not seek these things or worry about them like the nations, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And the key word here is seek. And that word seek means to pursue or run after, or to become entangled by. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, you live in a material world, you've got needs, the Father knows that you've got needs, but actually the difference between the Gentiles, the nations, those who are not of the people of God, is that their aim is different from the people of faith. They are seeking, like a heat-seeking missile. They are aiming, they are running after, they are entangled. These people, their aim is different. It's like if you're an archer or a hunter, you've got to readjust your telescopic lens and say, where is my aim? And what Jesus is saying is, as you seek God's kingdom, the things that you were aiming at get added, but actually you're living in the pleasure of the kingdom. You're not, you're not seeking them. What he's calling for is, is repentance. Oh Lord, my, my aim has been wrong. I've been fixated. I've been, I've been entangled with these things. In other words, God can bless. He can give us possessions. But the people of God who follow Jesus, they're not entangled by them. They hold them lightly like a hot potato. I can hold it, but I can give it away. I can hold it. I can give it away. One of the best ways to untangle yourself from seeking 
is to give your stuff away from time to time. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Another thing I'm a bit snobbish about is, my, is guitars. And the church gave me an incredible Gibson guitar for our 10th anniversary. It was such a gift. And then my Sophie asked to borrow it to lead worship at youth. I was like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> and I made a great excuse. I said, it doesn't have a pickup. And then Ryan told her, no, it does have a great pickup. Thank you very much. And I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. One of the ways, one of the litmus tests that we're not seeking after these things is that our possessions don't possess us. And when we either give them or lend them, it's like, hey, I am not entangled with you. I'm breaking up with you. Every time we give to the kingdom, you're breaking up with your love affair with money. You're keeping yourself free from the love of money. You say, actually, Lord, I'm seeking you even though I need these things. One of the images that's been helpful in terms of auditing our aim is this one of rugby. I, I played rugby growing up, and there's this guy called Johnny Wilkinson who was, a, was England's World Cup winning fly half, and he was an excellent kicker. And similar to football, you have to kick the ball between the posts to win, and he won the World Cup kicking between the posts. And they asked him, how do you be such an accurate kicker? He said, you know, I used to focus on the posts, on the uprights, trying to get it. And the more I focused on it, the more I'd spray the ball all over. And then my psychological coach said to me, don't aim at the posts. Aim at an imaginary lady that sits behind the posts in the crowd. And he even gave her a name, Auntie Edna. And every time he'd come, he wouldn't aim at the posts. He would just go, I'm going to land this, this ball in Auntie Edna's lap. And he said, by virtue of doing that, it got through the posts. That, that's a similar thing to where our aim is. We, we aim for Jesus. As C.S. Lewis says, aim for heaven and you get earth thrown in for free. Aim for earth and you get neither. I found even in the fast, I, I was just repenting. Oh God, uh, my aim is off. I've been consumed with money and possessions in a responsible way. Lord, Lord my, my kid needs this. And what about the future? And what about retirement? And I believe in all that stuff. But I remember on the way to church in the fast, just repenting. God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm seeking your kingdom. And I kid you not, two days later, two things we've, we've been waiting for for months came through. God loves to add when we change our aim. And I'll land with this. Life follows generosity. Life follows generosity. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. These practices of generosity, giving to the poor, and giving into the eternal. What does it mean to give into the, the eternal? Because Jesus says, this is the way that you seek the kingdom. It's the, the lit litmus test. One is to give to the poor. And the poor will, will not always be living, that, but, but for the moment, you, you give to those who have need in front of you. Very, very immediate. But then he says, 
provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens. Essentially, he's talking about generosity towards eternal things. He's talking about investing in the preaching of the gospel, the making of disciples, and the building of the church. Those three things are eternal. And what Jesus is saying is, you don't say, man, I've got such a heart for this poor person, or I've got such a heart for this gospel ministry, I've got such a heart for this church. He says, actually, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. In other words, if you want a heart for that thing, you give towards it, and life follows treasure. You say to me, Alan, I'm caught up in the here and now, paying rent, mortgage, tax, braces, etc. I don't think about heaven. You know how you think about heaven more? You sow into the eternal. For 27 years, every month, when Renell and I write our tithe check, it's the one thing that we do every month that would not make any sense unless we believed in heaven. It's like, Lord, we are investing in the eternal. We're never gonna see this, but we will see lives eternally changed. When we give to the poor, it's that one thing that's a radical statement that we're saying, Jesus, we are investing in the water that gives life, not in the salt water that has diminishing returns. And there's moments when we are more faithful to be generous and others, honestly, when we are less. I get that. But God's given us a testimony of his faithfulness as we've been faithfully generous to say, actually, we've got more of a heart for heaven because we've sowed into the eternal. And you know what? It is not the amount. It's the obedience. Do you trust the Father enough to be radically obedient? Will you trust the Father with the consequences of radical financial obedience? Will you trust Him that He knows your needs? That He loves you enough for you to have your needs provided for and to be generous to the kingdom? Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? The real ultimate cure for worry is the gospel of adoption. Twice, Jesus uses the term Father for God. The Father knows you need them. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When we forget the gospel of adoption that he who did not spare his only son for us, how will he not along with him freely give us all things? When we forget the gospel of adoption, we become like orphans. And orphans hoard everything they get because they don't know where their next meal or coat is coming from. Orphans will hide food under their mattress. And when we forget that we are adopted children, we hoard everything we get because we just don't trust the Father to give us our daily bread. And I just want to say, will you allow Jesus by the Spirit to heal you of worry through the gospel of adoption? The Father knows. The Father knows you. The Father knows your need. The Father, it's His delight to give you the kingdom. You know, when Renell and I give my kids a material gift, there's some pleasure in that. Oh, those are cool converses. Those are cool Air Force Ones. That's great. We like to see you enjoying that. 
That does not compare to the pleasure we feel when our kids got baptized or when our kids chose good, wise friends, or when our kids led their friends to the Lord, or when our kids discovered their gifts were not for them, but for serving others. When we saw our kids grow in the kingdom, it gave us such pleasure, much more than the Air Force ones. It's even greater with the Father. He knows what we need. He loves to give us what we need, but His pleasure is to give us the kingdom. Let's live there. Let's live under the pleasure of the Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, your teachings are stunning. You are so wise. You're so skillful. You're a surgeon who cuts, but you cut to heal. And we just come and present to you our worry. We swim in the water of worry, Jesus. And thank you that you don't just tell us, stop. You actually heal us. So we bring our worth-based worry to you. We bring our hoarding mentality. And we just say, Father, teach us to trust you. Teach us to disentangle ourselves from possessions and money. Teach us to invest in the eternal, to give to the poor. Teach us to break up with our lover called money that cannot give us what we want. And teach us to drink deeply, Jesus, of the water of life that truly satisfies. And everyone said,